Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the sunshine that we do have, the break from the rain. But Lord, we thank you, rain or shine, we come to worship you and hear from you, Lord God. So Lord, may you, may we, may you have our attention, our focus, our minds and our hearts, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would speak into our lives. We thank you and praise you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Um, this past week, uh, I think it was Tuesday night, we took Michaela to a college fair. How many of you have ever been to a college fair? You know what that means, right? All right, so it's a, where all these different colleges from all across the country, country, and not only country, but around the world, they come and they set up booths and they give you information about, you know, their colleges and what their programs, what they have to offer. So we took her to it over in uh, Pasadena. And we wanted her to kind of broaden her perspective to see all the different possibilities for college, right? For all she knows is just the college that I cheer for or something like that, or maybe her relatives may go to. Um, so we go to the different booths, and each representative that we, we spoke to, one of the first questions they asked her is, so what year of school are you? Are you a senior? You're a junior, right? And she said, well, I'm a freshman, and so their immediate response was, oh, okay, well, you have plenty of time, right? You have plenty of time. And they asked, so what do you want to study? What do you want to do? And she's like, well, I, you know, I don't know. And she's like, oh, well, you have plenty of time to decide, right? And, and then they go on to talk about their programs. And in my parental mind, right, I'm thinking, yeah, that's true, right? She has time to decide those things, right? But at the same time, I'm thinking, you know, the way college prep is, how many of you have already prepped your student, your child through high school and into college. How many of you have done that already? Okay, actually very few of us in here. Okay, I have. I'm raising my hand. But if you've been through that stage, you know as a parent that that kind of that, that whole you have plenty of time quickly changes to it's just around the corner. You know, that just kind of happens so quickly, so fast. And we didn't want to stress Michaela out, right? You're like, yeah, you have, you have plenty of time. But it's funny, right? It's funny that we naturally think there's plenty of time. You have plenty of time to think about something, right? But yet in life, it's funny how we have that mentality, but at the same time, we have these expectations of immediate results also right? In one way, we say there's plenty of time, and then another way, we say we want immediate results, right? We want immediate satisfaction. It's kind of like, you know, we enjoy slow-cooked ribs, but we want it at microwave speeds, right? We're, we're kind of like, that's why we go to Costco, right? You know, so you, the elaborate meal, you can just pop it into the microwave and cook it in, in, in quick speeds, we have this kind of tension of plenty of time, and yet we want immediate results. Jamie and I, we try to emphasize to each of our kids as they went on to school that not everyone's path looks the same. Not everyone's path, not everyone's journey towards their goals and desires looks the same. The journey may vary for people, right? The journey or the path to reach your goals and your ambitions and your destination often varies. It doesn't always look the same way. It's not always supposed to look 
like everybody else's, right? But we get this mentality. The mentality going through school is like, okay, you know what you want to do. You know what you want to study by like your high school years. That's what it's supposed to be. And then you go and you apply to your four-year college. And then you get into your four-year college. And then you complete your four-year college. And then you're able to find the job that you majored in, you're looking for. And you get that job. And then you find uh, someone that you, you love. And then you get married. And then when you get married, you have X amount of kids. And then after a long enough time enough, then perhaps you even get to retire, right? That's people's kind of expectations. Go to school, study, get a good job, find a good spouse, have whatever kids, and then you live happily ever after. Those of us who've lived long enough, we know what? It's not so clean and clear as that, is it? It doesn't always look that way for everybody. Everybody's journey, it doesn't look that way. Everybody's path towards their dreams or ambitions or goals don't exactly look that way. It doesn't happen that way all the time. And so it's kind of interesting how we, we tend to think that way. The frustration if you talk to a lot of people, especially young people, you know, right here, this crowd, I think a lot of frustration for young people is that they wonder, what am I supposed to do with my life? What's my purpose? Right? What am I supposed to study? What am I going to do as a career? And so there's a lot of struggle What's my purpose? And they think they have to have that answer going into college. But let me reassure you that young people are not alone, right? Adults can struggle with this as well. You have a lot of adults. After amount of time of life, they wonder, what is my purpose? What am I doing with my life? Have I fulfilled the purpose that I was supposed to have and for many people, they enter a certain stage in life still wanting that sense of purpose, that sense of, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And I don't think any of us prepare for the long journey of discovery in life, right? When we're young, we don't plan to discover it later on in our life. We want to discover it right away right? None of us plan to discover or, or experience life-changing moments three-quarters into our life, right? We, don't, we hope we don't do that, right? We hope our life doesn't completely change in the second half of our life. We always expect and think that by the time we get to a certain age, at least half of our life that we've known what we wanted to do, right? At least that's what we hope for. But that's not always the case, and we definitely don't prepare to find out three-quarters of our way into our life. We don't just seem to expect that way. In last week's message, I recognize it may have burst some people's bubbles a little bit in last week's message. We're used to striving for individual greatness, right? We're used to have this mentality 
of not only being the best that you can be, but to stand out from among the crowd. Right? We kind of have that mentality at times, and perhaps that's the mentality you were cultivated and you, you, were grow, you grew up to have, to be the best, to be number one. Not just do the best you can, but you got to stand out from the crowd. And so maybe that last week's lesson left people thinking, so is individual greatness a problem? Is, is seeking individual greatness a bad thing? Will God not allow me to experience greatness? Some people can struggle feeling that way. Does that mean God wants me to not have a great name, right? So what's the lesson? Well, I want to clarify something. Nowhere in Scripture that I know of do we see that mediocrity is what we ought to strive for. I don't know if that's a lesson laid out in Scripture, right? I don't see God instructing people to just give as half effort as much as possible. Just get by. All right? I don't see that value taught necessarily in Scripture as well. So what is the lesson, especially as we navigate life and as we're going through and you're trying to discover who you are and what you do for a living and all those purposes and all those things? What's the lesson then? Well, we're going to see a contrasting picture from last week in this week's passage. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis 11. And as you turn to there, we stopped last week. We stopped last week with the Lord scattering the people in Babel, right? The people settled in the land of Shinar, which was we later known as Babylon, right? And they sought to make a name for themselves. They sought to build a city and a tower that reaches the heights of heavens, of the heavens, right? And they wanted to make a name for themselves, build bigger, taller, be greater, right? And we, we looked at how that is so much like human nature. Even today, we want to build things taller, make things bigger, make things greater to elevate our name, human tendency, we saw in verse 6, the Lord said in response, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do, and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. So we saw the, how they entered the land speaking the same language. They were united in their goals or in their desires, but they left scattered in confusion saw that the Lord impeded the ambitions of man, right? God interceded in what I believe to protect man from their own doing. Sometimes we need protection from ourselves, right? I don't know how many times, I, I can probably say countless of times that God must have inter intervened in my life to protect me from me. Perhaps you can relate to that. But I think we see that God recognized the dangerous potential of the people's ambitions and pride. So he confused their language. So there's been times in my life, something doesn't happen like I hoped it to. How many of you can relate to that? 
You hoped for something. You wished for something. You may even thought it was good intentions. And it didn't come to pass. And perhaps it left you wondering, God, why? Why didn't this happen? Why didn't this come through? Why was I not allowed to go into this college that I wanted to work so hard for? Why didn't I get this job that I had wanted that I thought that you had given me? Right? We can have all these kind of ideas and notions. And sometimes the question that we need to have and to be able to understand is, do we trust God enough that if it doesn't go through, we can trust him anyways? Perhaps there's a reason. Perhaps he's protecting us from ourselves, right? So even good intentions we may have may not always materialize as we had hoped. But so as a goal, as chapter 11 goes on, we're not going to read all the way through from 10 to 25, but we saw that verses 10 through 25 of chapter 11 outlines Shem's genealogy, Shem being the son of Noah, all the way down to Terah. And this is where we're going to pick up in verse 26, okay? Verse 26, Genesis 11. Terah lived 70 years and became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. Abram and Nahor took wives from themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Sarai was barren. She had no child. Verse 31. Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. I'll stop there. One of the things, kind of funny things I like to do with my kids, we're in a car ride and stuff, we're trying to think of some conversation. Sometimes I'll ask them some hypothetical questions, like if you could grow up in any era or live in any era of time, what time would you want to live in, right? I've always said the 80s, or maybe it's the 90s. Some may say the 50s. Maybe some say the, the Victorian era or era for some other reason. I don't know what answer you may have. If you can live in any era of human history, what era would you want to live in? But I would say that this era of human history that we're reading from would definitely not be one that I would choose. I definitely would not want to choose to live in this era of human history. Because if you weren't following closely, Terah had three sons, right? Abram, Nahor, and Haran, right? Three sons, at least these three sons that were named. Each had wives. Nahor married his niece, his brother's daughter. That's a little, in our culture and mind, in time of human history, that's a little weird. Abram married Sarai. And that story has a little interesting part of it that we're going to get to later on in Abram's story, right? There's a backstory with that that we'll get to later, another date. 
When I read this, I'm thankful. Thankfully, the branches of human history have grown outward as much as it did, right? We don't have to worry about these kind of things. Uh, I, I joked, you know, my, I come from a big family, my mom's side, big family, and a couple Christmases ago, we had a big family reunion, so a lot of cousins and families from around the, the country and state and so forth converged in this one place, and there were like three generations represented in this one room, and I kind of joked, and I wanted my kids to say, look, scan this room. Look who's in this room. You are related to somebody in this room, okay? So just in case, okay, just know who you're related to, if you know what I mean. If you're not sure what I mean, we could talk later. So I'm kind of glad that human history has branched off as much as it did. But here we see in this, the, the latter part of this chapter, we see that Terah takes Abram, his son, Sarah, his wife, and his grandson, Lot, and they move and settle into the land of Canaan. Remember, the Canaanites are descendants of Ham. Terah and Abram are descendants of Shem, right? Noah's sons. And it also mentions that Sarai is also, to be, is also barren. She, they don't have children at this time. This is going to be significant as we go on in Abram's story. Verse 1, chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. I'll say Haran. One of the things I dislike in life is moving. I hate moving. I have moved more times in my life than many of you years have been alive. I've moved in my lifetime 25 times. 17 since getting married. So I'm a veteran of moving and I don't enjoy it as time goes on. Some find moving an adventure. How many of you find that? You're that way. Moving is an adventure. All right, I am not alone in this room. Sounds good. A lot of people see the adventure of it. I see the labor. That's what I see. I see the labor. Some see under, like uncertainty adding to the flavor of adventure. They like that. I do not always appreciate uncertainty. I may not necessarily do well with uncertainty. Abram here is facing uncertainty. He's faced with uncertainty. He already moved with his father, but now the Lord is getting his attention for the next part of his journey. God tells him to go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Now let's break this down for a second. The first part of this is that the Lord commands Abram to go. 
Now, how many of you have a problem with transitions? You don't like transitions in life. How many of you? Everyone here is good with transitions. That is a lie. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Transitions have stages, right? The first stage here is this command to go. Now, for some people, this is the hardest part. They have a hard part with this, the actual command to go, to get started, to actually move. Many don't want to. Many don't like that idea of having to go away to make a change, right? Many don't want to leave family. You don't want to leave the comforts of your environment. Maybe you've made a nice home for yourself. You don't want to go. You don't want to make changes, right? But the first command was to go. But the second part, right, there's layers to this command. The second part, what does he say to go from? God tells Abram to go from your country or your area, right, your land, your relatives, and your father's house. See, for others, the idea of transition is not necessarily difficult, but the conditions make all the difference, right? It's like, okay, go, but how drastic of a change am I looking at? How far do I have to go, right? I've always, I grew up always thinking, I don't mind, if I move, I don't want to move out of California. My mindset has changed over the years. I'm more open to move out of California these days than I did 20 years ago, 15 years ago. But for some people, how drastic of a change is a big deal. I don't mind going as long as I don't have to go too far. As long as I don't lose connection with my comforts, my surroundings. God told him to move from your location, your extended family and their home Distance yourself from your family. And we're not given clear reasons in this moment why God told Abram to move from his, not only his land, from his family and from the home, right? We're not given clear reasons as to why he had to do that. We don't even know with certainty if God told Abram at that moment why he had to move away from his family distance himself. Why was that component necessary? We're actually, we don't even know if this was a difficult decision for Abram, right? We're not even told this is difficult for him. Perhaps he's like, okay, (laughs) that could be. Some people are willing. Some people, if if those of you who are getting ready to go off to college, some of you may be asked that question of, so where do you want to go? Do you want to go out of state? Some parents be like, no. I want my kid close by home so I can keep an eye on them. So they can do laundry. So they can do all these things. I need my kid near me. Some kids are that way. They want to stay. They don't mind staying close to home, which is a good thing, right? Right? That's not a bad thing. But when you're single, you have a lot of flexibility, right? You can move somewhere. You can go and you have that flexibility. If you're married, you don't have kids. You have a little bit more flexibility. It gets a little more complicated. There's a lot more factors to to factor in about relocating. When you're married and you have kids, it makes it a little bit more complicated, right? Because you have you factor in your kids and all that kind of stuff. It's not, that's not true for everybody, 
right? That's not necessarily true for everybody. But sometimes the tough decision is how drastic of a change we're asked to make. But here's a third thing about the Lord's command to Abram. He says, to the land which I will show you. In other words, I'm not giving you the details now, but go and I'll show you. For some people, when it comes to change and transition, the hardest part is not knowing those details of why. What am I getting myself into, right? How many of you prefer to know what you're getting into? You want to know the plan. You want to know why. You want to know what to expect before you make any changes, right? I can be that exact same way. I'd like to think I'd be different. If the Lord was to tell me in a dream tonight, Mike, pack up all your things, get a rental truck, load it all up, and just go to a place I will show you. I would like to think I would be so obedient and say, yes, Lord, and wake up my family and say, today's the day we move. I'd like to think that would be my response. I'd like to be a little more realistic about myself. And I would say, okay, Lord, I hear you. Can you give me a little more information first? Can you at least ping me a location? Show me an ad of the house that we're going to move to. What city? Can you give me some more info? But God's direction always has a destination a purpose, and promises. I'll say that again. God's direction always has a destination, purpose, and promises. Look what he says in verse 2. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The Lord doesn't leave him blindly with what lies ahead. The Lord declares future blessings for Abram. In fact, the word blessing or the form of blessing is referred to five times in this brief passage. Abram will be blessed and others will be blessed because of it, through his blessings. And above all else, the Lord says, I will be the source and power behind the blessings. I will bless you. He will be the cause of the blessings. So God provides Abram the purpose. And in fact, the Lord specifically promises two things here. Two things, right? What does he promise? I will make you a great nation and I will make your name great. I will make you a great nation and I will make your name great. Now remember, right? At this point, Abram and Sarai have no children. She's barren, right? They don't have any kids. Now we know historically 
the men became fathers at advanced ages, right? We have records from the previous chapters. Some men were a little advanced in age. I didn't say old, right? They were advanced in age when they were fathers of a particular son. It's interesting, we're not given the ages of the women yet, so God, God respects the women. Say, so, all right, I won't reveal the ages of the women, right? But if you notice, if you look back in the uh, genealogy, Shem was 100 when he had his son, Arpashad. Okay, 100. However, for the next seven descendants, we see that those who had their sons named, the named sons at the time, they were between ages 29 and 35 years of age. How many of you here, you fathers, I want to ask the moms, how many of you had your child between the ages of 29 and 35? All right. All right, that's more common, right? Certainly you weren't 100, right? If you were, you look amazing. So that's not out of the line when we see the genealogy, the rest of the genealogy. The one exception in the names mentioned in chapter 11 is Terah, who was 70 at the age when he had Abram. But Abram and Sarai, perhaps at this point in time, perhaps they gave up on the idea of having kids. They saw, Abram saw his grandfather and the great-great-grandfather and so forth, and they thought, you know what, perhaps my time to have a kid is up. I would imagine, maybe Sarai probably thought, yeah, yeah, it's time to make different plans, right? But God promises to make a nation through Abram. Not only a nation, but a great nation. Now, what would you need to have to make a nation? In order to have a nation, what do you need? What's the first thing you need? People, right? You can't be a nation of one. You can't go up to some people and say, I am of the nation of Michael. Who are the nations of Michael? Just me. But trust me, we will be a great nation. You need people. What else do you need? You need land. Right? You can't be a nation without land. In order to be a great nation, you need leaders. You need powerful leaders, leaders of authority. You need a powerful reputation to be a great nation. These are all things Abram does not yet have. The second thing the Lord promises, I'll make your name great. He promises Abram's name will be great. Now what does this remind you of? Does this remind you of last week? Right? Do you see the contrast from the previous story? How God is contrasting the story of his people with the story of the nations? Last week you saw the people wanted to make the city, their own city, a great city, a great tower to make their name great, for their name to stand out among all the people. They wanted to elevate themselves, no pun intended, so they will reach great heights, right, with their tower. 
Perhaps they had the mentality, we're gonna build up a tower to be among the gods. Perhaps that was part of their mentality, right? The heavens there. If you remember last week, we also saw Nimrod, right? Nimrod was a man of great reputation among the people. He was a mighty hunter. Not only that, he was a kingdom builder. He built a name for himself. But here we see the Lord had plans for another man. From Abram, a great nation will be established. Abram's name will be great. Stop and consider for a moment how amazing, what an amazing prophetic word this is. Even for the time of the Israelites reading this, what an amazing prophetic word. The name Abram, Abraham, would be the patriarch of two very prominent genealogies, Isaac and Ishmael. Beyond that, Abraham will be a key figure in three major world religions today, in Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Who would have predicted that at the time, even if the Israelites were reading this, even they're reading about their patriarch Abraham, who would have thought that that name would continue to be great if not for the act of God? Besides all that, a timeless song was inspired by Abraham. Anyone know that song? Father Abraham. How many of you grew up listening to Father Abraham? All right, let's stand up and do Father Abraham. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Half of you will probably pull something. I'll probably pull something, right? Right arm, left arm, heads up, you know, they're spinning on around. I don't, want any, I don't want any accidents in here. Indeed, the Lord made Abram, who is soon to be Abraham's name, great, magnified. His reputation will grow as the Lord blesses, and all the families of the earth will be blessed. Remember, this is con contextually following what we read in the previous chapters. What did we read in the previous chapters? The spreading of the nations, the spreading of the families, the, the families spreading throughout the world, and now God is calling one man out from his genealogy to say, out of you, I will bless all the families of the earth through you. Exactly. At the same time, he says, the Lord will curse those who curses him. These are some pretty good promises, right? If God were to give you such promises, would that increase your likelihood to trust him? All right, we all like to say yes, but I, don't, I have my doubts, right? Verse four, he says so, says, so Abram went forth as the Lord has spoken to him and Lot went with him. Now, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, again, we don't make plans for big life changes three quarters into our life. So Abram went forth as the Lord has spoken to him. We're not given any dialogue between Abram and the Lord, right? We don't see Abram say, hey, you know, can we talk about this? Can I talk with my wife first? Because, you know, she's the boss. I need to run things by her first to make sure she's okay, Right? scope out the scene before we can move. 
Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. Now, there seems to be a little tweak from God's instructions here. Did you catch it? Lot went with him. Lot went with him. Perhaps Abram didn't intend, he didn't ask, perhaps he didn't ask Lot, hey, Lot, you want to come along? Perhaps Lot just kind of pushed him into the scenario. He's like, hey, Abram, you know, uncle, can I go with you? He said, no, I was told not to, but he said, oh, please, I don't want to stay here. I don't know. We don't really know. Maybe Lot was just a tag along. We don't really know. But this will become significant later on in Abram's story. So let's look at Abram for a second. What inspired Abram to express such faith and obedience? Book of Hebrews chapter 11 captures Abram's faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which was foundations, or which has foundations, catch this, whose architect and builder is God. I love that, especially in light of Babel, right? They wanted to be the architect, the builders, For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Now scholars speculate that Shem's descendants became worshipers of the moon. They base it on some of the names. They see, look at some of the names of the descendants and they can see, well, perhaps it's, it's, it's related to this, this, and this. And they speculate that perhaps Shem's genealogy, they became worshipers of the moon. And I suppose that's possible. Maybe it's even likely, maybe it's true, right? Perhaps this is why God told Abram to leave your family, to get out from that situation, out of your homeland, out of your relative's house, Perhaps the change of scenery was needed. Perhaps the influence of what maybe have come into, seeped into the family, perhaps that would have been a stumbling block for Abram. So God removed him from that. That's possible, right? It's interesting that in Genesis 11, the genealogy of Noah's son, Shem, right? If you take their ages literally, right? If you take that, that this exact is literally, they were this age when, as we read it and when they had their sons and it goes on forth, right? If you take it literally and if those details are accurate, then that would mean that Noah was alive when Abram was born. How many of you have heard of that before? If you take it, if that was literally true, then Noah was alive when Abram was born. In fact, Abram would have been 57 years old when Noah died. Let's just say and speculate if that's even remotely possible. I would imagine Noah's faith would have been handed down, if not directly hearing the stories of faith that Noah was obedient in the time of the flood. I would imagine so. Certainly, I would like to hope so and think so. That Abram would be influenced by such faith in Yahweh not in these other worshipers of other gods that other people might have gotten into, that he was influenced. Certainly, Yahweh was not a foreign concept to Abram. You look at the family line. In fact, you see, Noah's story parallels a lot like Abram's story, right? 
God singled out a lone individual from among generations of people for a great purpose. Both accounts are tied to God's intervention in man's affairs. With Noah, the world became so wicked, so evil continuously, so violent. God singled out Noah. We saw with Babel, God deals with dangerous pride with the scattering of people in Babel and as they scattered around. But yet here we see this contest. God, from out of the generations, he sets apart a lone man. Both given instructions and both were described to have simply acted in faith. God told them and they did. We weren't given any dialogue. Verse four, so Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. Noah believed the Lord's word. Noah had relationship with God. I like to imagine that must have prepared Abram to be able to respond in a similar way. The Lord speaks to him and he says, okay, I will do it. I will go. I will follow. Something that I didn't mention in previous messages that we can't neglect, okay? We can't neglect the mention of Noah's blessings of Shem in chapter nine. We saw that Canaan was cursed and declared he would be a servant to his brothers. Japheth was blessed in chapter nine, verse 27. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be a servant. But Noah's address to Shem was uniquely different. When Noah addresses Shem in chapter nine, verse 26, he starts off by saying, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. That was the extent. He starts off the blessing with blessing the Lord, the God of Shem. For Shem, Noah began with blessing the Lord. He acknowledged the name of the Lord and that that promise then given to Shem's line. Shem's line will be blessed because of the Lord, the God of Shem. Fast forward 10 generations later, what do we see? God will begin setting apart a people from among the rest of the families, from the rest of that line. The promise of the Lord I'm sure it was contrary to rational belief, right? It doesn't make sense. But this will be the pattern that God operates. He will do things that don't necessarily seem to make logical sense. But it's to show that it is a work of God, right? What can we marinate on? I'll wrap up with this this part. What can we marinate on? The title of the message was Set Apart. Some of you may ask, what sets me apart? Right? What sets me apart? At the college fair, when I asked one of the ladies who's, you know, speaking about their college and they're talking about their major and that they're known for this particular major. So I asked them, what sets a student apart if they're applying for this major? What would set them apart from all the rest of the applicants? And perhaps you have that thought as well, right? We can apply that different context. Whether you're applying for a college, what will set apart your 
application from the rest of the people. Maybe you're applying for a promotion. You're applying for a job. What will set me apart from the rest of the applicants? Maybe you're looking for that one, right? You're dating. What will set me apart from everybody else? That's a reality we all face, right? Even the little things, you're going out for lunch, you're trying to decide what you want to eat. What sets this place apart from the other place apart? That's just kind of the reality we live in. But some of us have that burden. What is going to set me apart? What do I need to do to set me apart from everybody else? To make my name climb the charts, right? An applicable lesson we can walk away with. And by the way, we're going to get into this whole why God calls Abram out as we go along in the story. Okay, we're gonna, that's going to unfold as we go along. But I think an applicable lesson, applicable lesson we can walk away with is that we want to be set apart for the Lord. God, I want you to set me apart for your purposes. May you set me apart. May I be set apart for your purposes and not my own. May I be set apart to glorify your name and not my name. If I do any good work, any excellence, strive for excellence, right? I don't think that's an ungodly ambition, strive for excellence. But if I strive for excellence, may it be to glorify your name. May you have a purpose in there bigger than I can imagine. Maybe it's different from what I could conceive. Maybe it's even different from what, how it plays out at, at that I can see. But God, can you do a purpose bigger or different than what even I can conceive but may it give you glory? May it be for your name and not mine. If I get to go into this school or get this job or have these friends or go to these classes or get this promotion, whatever it is, God, can you be glorified? And if I go up the ladder, if I go up this promotion, if I get into this school, if I have these opportunities, Lord, can you be glorified in this? We're gonna see as soon as next week. Abram was not perfect in this. Far from it. Far from it. He will not be perfect in this. But I want to leave us with this thought. What sets us apart? Lord, may you set me apart for your purposes. I would rather the Lord set me apart and spend the rest of my life trying to make my name set apart from everybody else. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, Lord, I don't know the stories of each person in here, I don't know their ambitions, their dreams, their goals, whether they fulfill those dreams and goals or whether they're still pursuing them. Lord, I pray you had set in our hearts a desire and a faith to say, God, 
I want to trust you with my life, my dreams, my goals, my ambitions. And that, Lord, may you set me apart for you, for your name. Whether I am known to other people or I'm known to very few people, may you be glorified in my life, in my desires, my ambitions, in my dreams. For Lord, you are the one who blesses. We thank you, Lord God, and we give you all praise, glory, and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.